Are you ready for some wrestling? What's up? Uh, this is the first attempt at Botch to the Future. Um, I've changed my tune a little bit since I uh, made that stupid little intro thing early on. I'm now doing Raw. I'll be doing Raw, SmackDown, and pay-per-views. I feel like maybe it was a little limiting just doing the pay-per-views. Plus, you don't really get like the full story. You don't get the full spectrum of the the weekly shows. And you don't get those guys that don't quite make it to the pay-per-view, which I think we kind of forget about. But um, we're kind of underrated. Um, but yeah, all in all, I'm starting with the first episode of Raw in the new millennium. It is on the 3rd of January, uh, the year 2000, that's where we're starting, and uh, I'll take it away from here. pretty cool it is in miami florida um the first segment of the show sounds a little something like this and here comes the rock so i figure you can uh hear who that is especially being in miami florida the rock is just about as over as anyone can be at this point in the year 2000 um, he hasn't quite reached that mega ultra star level yet. He's had good matches with just about everyone on the roster, and it is a stacked roster at this point. Um, coming into the show, he's feuding with uh, Triple H and Degeneration X as it's part of the McMahon-Helmsley uh, authority era sort of thing, which is kind of a weird point, I think, in... Uh, as far as authority figures and as far as DX is concerned, um, seems kind of weird having DX as an authority figure when by design they're an anti-authority figure and they were as over as they've ever been when they were defying the traditional authority types. Um, but, you know, it still works. It's still Triple H basically in one of his real primes. I mean... You could really argue that his prime has been I mean, more or less for the last 20 years. Um, but um, yeah, so the intro starts with uh, Rock coming out, cutting a promo, very pro-Miami, hamming it up to the fans. But um, like the pops that you hear are just insane. He's just got the crowd in the absolute palm of his hand. Sees it fit to say on this day, 1,000 years from now, in the year 3000, when the historians look back and wonder what the sound was that encompassed this millennium, The Rock says it was the sound of the people chanting his name. Like, that's not even edited. That's just the show. That's just 
the instant reaction. Like they're literally hanging on every word. They're waiting for him to finish and they're waiting for him. They're waiting for their cue to interact. They're waiting for their cue to pop, basically. Uh, it's just crazy. Um, and you kind of, you expect that the crowd is, is hot. Um, but realistically, it is just for The Rock. Um, the crowd does not get any bigger than it was for that first um, first promo. Where basically The Rock comes out. Um, states how McFoley was fired. So pre- in a, it's not really... It was technically in the previous millennium. But um, on last week's, the week's prize uh, episode of Raw, uh, Mick Foley and The Rock um, had a match for basically their employment. I think it was, I think they called it pink slip on a pole match, which doesn't, I don't know. But um, yeah, so obviously it was like, I remember JR referring to it as a uh, traumatic evening, which I understand, especially, you know, with the Rock and Sock connection and stuff like that. Um but um, yeah, so basically that's that's building up to something. Um, then the Rock calls out Triple H. Uh, Triple H announces that as he is the authority figure, he has a title match against the WF at the time champion Big Show. Um, at this point, he, Triple H is only a two-time champion, and um, it's I mean it was a really fun promo just seeing the Rock and Triple H go head to head. As far as promos go, they're two of the best on the mic. Like, I've been watching a lot of old, older kind of <clears throat> noughties, uh shows and pay-per-views and stuff like that. And Triple H was just, um, he's one of those guys that makes it look really easy. You don't think about him being a tremendous mic guy like Jericho or The Rock because he doesn't have, um, I guess, those like, you know, really good catchphrases or he doesn't have the crowd absolutely going insane. But the thing is, everything he says on the mic is really believable. Um, he doesn't fabricate it. He doesn't stumble. He's smooth. You don't see him falter on the mic at all. Um, and it really helps when he's in this position as a heel because um, it's believable because he's so professional about the way he goes about everything. But um, basically, then uh, Triple H announces that uh, <clears throat> The Rock... Is next on the chopping block. He is. Uh, I don't know why he doesn't just fire him on the spot, but he is. <laughs> that's wrestling, right? He puts him into a, uh, a one-on-three handicap match for his career. If he loses, he's fired. Um, then we're at this point waiting for his opponents. Spit it out, Rock! I don't have all day. Well, The Rock just wants to know exactly who it is you had in mind for his opponents. I'll tell you, Rock. It doesn't matter who you had in mind. So basically, then they announce uh, the fact that it is Road Dog, it's X Park, and Billy Gunn, the other members of DX. Um, they run down to the ring and jump him. Um, yeah, just setting up for the, for the rest of the show. Um, there's an 18 minute segment to open, to open the show. So you, it, at this point, the show without ads is only an hour and a half. So you've got the first 18 minutes, um, setting up for what is a pretty 
short. I think the 18 minutes at the beginning, I don't think the match itself even went 18 minutes, but that, we'll get to that later. Um, but basically the first match of the new millennium on WWE televised programming was Too Cool versus the Dudleys. Um, I feel like this was kind of a missed opportunity in the sense that they could have had a cool match. Even some of the matches that they had later on, maybe they could have made a bigger deal of that being the first match of the millennium. Um, It's kind of rare for WWE to miss opportunities like that, especially for milestones, whether it's uh, Raw 1000, 25th anniversary of Raw. Um, So those sorts of milestones usually don't go untouched so i was kind of interested to see how they went about the first episode of the millennium but it was pretty um you know got brought up here and there but it was relatively ignored considering um it, it you know considering it is one of those milestones um but yeah basically the first match <clears throat> between two cool and the dudleys i feel like two cool was kind of I don't, know, I don't want to say underrated, but like as far as fun tag teams go, they it tries to be replicated that like kind of whole party team atmosphere, music and dancing and gimmicky, I don't know, kind of um, the Funkasaurus comes to mind as far as that gimmick goes, and it's, maybe I'm maybe I'm nostalgic, but it just doesn't work for me now. Uh, again, maybe it's maybe it's nostalgia and it's a bit of bias, but I feel like Too Cool is kind of like a fun team, especially with Rikishi. And I think the most important thing is that they got over at the time. Um, it wasn't, um, it wasn't an awkward. It wasn't like a cringy thing. Like they'd come out and they'd get genuinely get a good reaction from everyone, and people would want to see the worm. People want to see them dance, which is you know just indicative of the era. Like you could. If you put the work in and that you've got the right people, anyone that's on TV, I think, has the ability at this point. Um, keeping in mind, it's kind of a weird time in wrestling. Um, WCW and ECW are still putting out regular content. The Monday Night Wars is kind of on its tail end, but um, it's like a com- it's still a competitive time in pro wrestling. Um, but with that being said, they haven't gotten bolstered by uh, post invasion, which kind of happens later on down the track, where they have that roster in the next couple of years, where it's absolutely stacked. Uh, but with that being said, like everyone on this card is, they not only fit, they not only make sense with where they are. There's no one that seems higher than they should be or lower on the card than you'd expect them to be. Everyone kind of makes sense in where they are, but they're all kind of celebrated now they're all guys that you recognize there's no guys you're like who the fuck is that um but yeah okay so first match of the new millennium um is kind of interrupted by the posse they come out before the bell um the match starts grandmaster sexy and two um scotty too hardy they're wrestling with chains and hats on and stuff um they hit the hit the Scotty hits the worm pretty early on. It's it's still like the best slash worst finisher in the world, as far as I'm concerned. Um, it's at this point that I kind of re- 
recognize that the crowd has really cooled down. Um, I wasn't sure if it was just the fact that they had such a hot intro with The Rock being from Miami, being in Miami, and that home crowd, as well as the fact that they're seeing one of the most over guys in history. But it's pretty noticeable that the crowd's cooled for a pretty lackluster match. Um, Posse jumps Rikishi, and then they get chased out by the Acolytes. Rikishi comes in, super kicks Bubba. They get DQ'd for the finish, so technically the Dudleys win. The Dudleys are the winner of the first match in WWE in the new millennium. That's something you can never take off them. Whether it was a good match or not, forget about it. That's a little stat that they got. I'm sure no one even cares. But um, basically, despite the fact that uh, Too Cool lose the match, they still do their little dance with the lights go dim. Scotty pulls out the worm. He worms twice in the space of about five minutes. Uh, yeah, it's kind of... I'm sure it's setting up for something later on, but realistically, I feel like that first match of the new millennium could have been something really cool. Could have been even the title match that they announced. Maybe Triple H says, look, I want to be the first match of the new millennium. I want to win the title in the first match of the new millennium. But it's neither here nor there, really. Um, Cuts backstage, as it does pretty continually to Triple H and Stephanie. Um... Steve Blackman comes into their dressing room. Triple H vows to um, break Kurt Angle's undefeated streak. And he tells Steve Blackman that if he interrupts with the match, if he hits Kurt Angle with his kendo stick, he will be fired. Um, Then this cuts to Kane versus Kurt Angle. Um, Of course, at this point, Kurt Angle is still undefeated which is pretty cool. Um, I'm sure he'll get a lot of... Uh, we'll be speaking about him a lot because it's so clear to see how natural he really is. Four years after the uh, the Olympics where he won a gold medal, um, which is it's pretty crazy just to see the transition that he is on his way to becoming a top guy less than four years after uh, winning that gold medal in the Olympics and just, you know, especially coming around to that another Olympiad, a lot of Olympians are getting ready for that next the next challenge whether they've done well or not they're looking for that next step whereas he's in a completely different industry he's off in another world, he's pro wrestling he's wrestling a guy called Kane with a mask has apparently one eye and he's burnt up in a fight like he's, couldn't be further removed from the amateur wrestling of the Olympics, which I think it's pretty cool considering how well he transitioned. Um, but yeah, they kind of set up for this um, this angle where uh, Tori, who, not Tori Wilson, but just uh, someone called Tori, who I, I can't say I'm completely familiar with or remember. It may have been a short-lived run of the business um, or even the WWE. But she's Kane's girlfriend, her handler, her ma- his manager. I, I, I don't really know, but... They show some vignettes and some clips of previous shows where she's triggered by people, um, like Test at The Rock, and then Kane goes out and takes them out in matches, um, or backstage. But, like, again, not sure where that's going. Maybe that'll clarify itself. Maybe it's just one of those things that tries to make angles, characters, matches a little bit more interesting, but it kind of, I was kind of thrown off by the whole thing, really. And to be fair, um, Kane being a face. Um, 
is always kind of like a little bit funny because I think they kind of always insist on having a manager or a female manager, a valet for him, which just doesn't make a ton of sense considering he's a monster. He, you want him to be intimidating, even if he's a face for me personally. Um, but they've, they've obviously got their rhymes and their reasons as to why they're putting him with people. Maybe it's to make him more likable, more human, I guess that that makes sense. But Basically, uh, Angle comes down to the ring. He's the heel at this point. He's cutting a promo on the ramp, basically spouting out the three eyes, um, saying, Kane has the in- intensity, but I have the intensity, the integrity, and the intelligence sort of thing. So, um, he's still stressing the fact that he is undefeated, um, which I think is pretty cool for him coming in. Um, I think it's... Um, not overworked. I think having someone as legitimate as him come in with a undefeated streak, I think that's totally justifiable. But um, yeah, it's um, pretty pretty standard match again. Nothing nothing too flash. Couple minute match. Steve Blackman comes down and hits Angle with the kendo stick, therefore disqualifying Kane, keeping Kurt Angle's winning streak. Alive, um, despite the fact that Triple H had threatened that he'd be fired. They then, after the match, cut back to Triple H and Steph. Um, I was expecting them to say something about how Steve Blackman did a uh, win against Triple H as well. And now he's fired sort of thing. But they just didn't mention it. They just ignored it. It didn't even get brought up. And it's um, really weird. Really weird. Like, it was just a complete lapse. Um yeah, it was, it was kind of just one of those weird forgotten things, like, I guess, like a plot hole. Like, I know a lot of the show was kind of run on the fly, but um, it's kind of one of those rare gaps in the storyline, because realistically, they just ignored it, or they forgot. Um, but it doesn't really change too much as far as the storyline, it was just kind of funny. Um, oh, <laughs> here's a little one little one little thing that I... One little Jerry the King Lawler-ism that came out of the uh, the first match of the Millennium. Hey, be careful of Scotty's hair, it's on Viagra. Ah, uh, yes. Classy as always, I love it. Stuff you can't say now, stuff you could only say in the early noughties in professional wrestling. There's plenty of those. Um, I know there's a lot more coming ahead in other shows. <laughs> but, um, yeah. Um... Yeah, so the next segment is uh, starts with Stephanie coming out to the ring with uh, three referees and the Intercontinental Championship, which was previously discussed as having some misunderstanding. There was some confusion as to who was the Intercontinental Champion. Um, she asked uh, one ref who... They had, for whatever reason, two referees adjudicating a match between China and... Chris Jericho, um, one referee who, uh, I think it was on the SmackDown, the show prior, um, but one referee, as, as a, they went down for a double pin, one referee counted out Jericho's shoulders, the other referee counted out China's shoulders at the exact same time. It was really crisp, it was really clean, there wasn't like anything clunky about it, uh, which is cool, because it kind of does set up a little bit of the legitimacy of a pretty weird storyline. But 
One referee thinks that uh, he adamantly claims that China is an intercontinental champion. The other referee denies that, stating that Chris Jericho is in fact the intercontinental champion. Um, Both of them get called out. Uh, They come down to the ring. And Stephanie McMahon has this to say. China and Chris Jericho are both the Intercontinental Champion. What? What does that mean, King? Yeah, what does that mean, King? Uh, I don't know. Like, it's not something that has been done, to my knowledge, before or to my for my memory after. I think they typically just vacate the championship, which would make sense. I think this is kind of another one of those uh, McMahon-Helmsley authority trip storylines which i kind of get i don't really have a problem with it um especially considering that the whole double pin thing was done so cleanly the referees counts were completely uh in time with each other which is again the execution kind of justifies it almost it makes it a little bit easier to uh, deal with it makes it a little bit easier to um come to grips with it just makes it a little bit less clunky and i think Clunky is probably the one word that I would use to describe modern wrestling as far as a lot of the storylines go. I mean, we're not here to talk about modern pro wrestling. We're here to talk about the year 2000. We're here to talk about Monday Night Raw on the 3rd of January, year 2000. But um, it's one of those things. You can see that a lot of this is done on the fly, but you get away with it um, as long as the result turns out okay. Um... Then Hardcore Holly comes out. I don't know if he's got anything to do with anything at this point, but he comes out with Crash Holly with the set of scales. I think they're doing that whole heavyweights thing, which was kind of this... Uh, I don't, I, to be honest, I barely even remember it. I have very little knowledge of it. But it was basically when Crash Holly and Hardcore Holly were tagging together and they were calling themselves heavyweights and they carried around this big set of scales, kind of like the weigh-in scales that they take down to the ring. And uh, it's... Pretty short-lived, pretty thin, pretty uh, pretty useless. Again, I, I like Hardcore Holly, but he is one of those guys that's hard to get a gimmick for. And the year 2000 went, basically everyone has a gimmick, everyone has a storyline, everyone has a character or a backstory. Hardcore Holly just isn't that kind of guy. He's kind of probably better suited for... Um, you know, maybe 20 years earlier than he was. He's kind of one of those guys that would get through and do well in the 1980s going through the territories as opposed to in the attitude era where everything's so exaggerated but um he comes down to the ring with crash he demands that he gets a intercontinental championship match against whoever happens to be the champion uh, i don't know what grounds he has to claim this but whatever he does and china steps in while jericho goes on commentary um the uh, stipulation of this joint uh, championship situation is that if one of them loses the championship, then they both lose the championship. So it's kind of setting up for this kind of alliance between the two, uh, between Jericho and China. Um, Jericho's obviously just venting his frustration about the whole situation on commentary while China wins. Uh, she goes to, uh, you know, while she competes and tries to defend. Intercontinental Championship. Um, so it's a little side note. 
Hardcore Holly has one of the best drop kicks, and he doesn't get a lot of praise. He doesn't get remembered for much, but he is pretty crisp in the ring. Like for what he does, he does it very well. And uh, yeah, I just it's got one of the crispest drop kicks that I've seen in a long time. Um, and another thing to point out, obviously China's going to be part of you know the story storylines upcoming, and she's. She'll probably be in bigger spotlights than on this particular episode of Raw. But I think it is pretty cool looking back, especially now where women's wrestling is as good as it's ever been. I think it's cool looking back and seeing how China, at least in this point of time, and at least in individual instances, isn't a parody. She isn't a freak. She's just a competitor. And they very bring up, you know nothing but little tiny little jabs that you might expect from heels and stuff like that. But it more or less is just assume that she is a competitor and she's on par with the other guys. And that's actually pretty cool looking back 20 years when there is so much, I mean, there's just little to no representation of good women's wrestling. The only real factor in women's wrestling is actually wrestling men. So it's good that she was identified and she was allowed and given that opportunity to separate from the women's division because otherwise she'd just be lost. Otherwise she just wouldn't have a place on the card or in the show or really in the industry um, because there just wasn't that much competition for her at that point. And if she wa- if there was, it was few and far between and not enough to keep a division afloat and um, but yeah, it just looking back on the first show of this, of this whole thing, um, you just notice those little things where it's usually a surprise. Like, I mean, it was a surprise, but usually you're surprised with how bad things were. And it's funny. I was like, there's some stuff coming up on this episode that is funny at the time. It's funny because it's at the time, but if they did it now, you could just see all the red flags. You could see social media blow up. But, um, yeah. Um, so basically, uh, Jericho helps China win while Crash Holly and I think, I think her name's the cat. Uh, Jerry Lawler's wife, who's with China ringside is, uh, they're both, trying to distract the referee more or less um, while Hardcore Holly has China rolled up near the ropes. Uh, Jericho goes and pushes Holly or punches him in the back of the head, uh, reversing the roll up so that China is on top. The referee realizes, comes to count the three. Uh, she wins the, uh, she retains the title and retains Jericho's title in the making. And uh, yeah, that's the finish of the match. And then basically uh, Bob Hardcore Holly just turns on crash. He just beats the shit out of it with those scales beats him up into the crowd and they just basically disappear into the crowd. Nothing really gets mentioned of that. Whether the, uh, Maybe it's kind of one of those situations where maybe they'll just show up on SmackDown or show up on Raw the next week and they're just like, yeah, that's no, fine. But I guess we'll see. Maybe it's time. Um, weirdly enough, we're just about halfway into the show um, and we have the what you would expect to be the main event. It is uh, the Big Show defending his WWF Championship against Triple H. Um, his self-appointed World Championship match. Um, 
it's a decent, decent match. It kind of, um, Triple H leaves DX on the ramp. He kind of stresses that he wants to do it alone, I guess. Um, which is kind of against what they've been doing the show, the whole show prior, as far as making the absolute most of their numbers advantage and their authority and their power. But regardless, maybe maybe they're just trying to have some legitimacy and maybe add some value to the title by not watering it down with a complete th- four on one beatdown. Because, like, you know, theoretically they could have done that as well. Uh, the match is, for the most part, on the outside of the ring, more of a brawl than anything else. Uh, one thing I did notice was Big Show's. Uh, he wasn't selling the headshots really well, especially on the crowd, in the crowd area, on the barrier and stuff where it's kind of, you expect them to just really, really just lay into it because you've got people that are like two feet away from you and he's kind of selling with his hands more than anything else, which is kind of, you know, a little bit cheap. But then again, it's, it's Monday Night Raw. It's not, you know, who knows? Um, that was just one thing that I noticed. Um, pretty cool scene, Big Show, go for an elbow, which he missed off the second rope, that was fun, had a bit of a back and forth match, uh, the finish came while X-Pac caused a distraction, well, referee, I don't know how much good it'll do you, ref, X-Pac is, is being, and, oh, oh no, Big Show just caught Triple H, oh, low blow, there was a low blow by Triple H, and now the pedigree, the pedigree, yeah. With a low brawl, and then the pedigree. Well, that kid, the, well, that kid, Triple H has done it. Triple H has pinned the big show. So, yeah, like, again, I feel like this could have been done in a cooler way considering it was the first episode I, again i'm gonna go to it i still think it would have been cool having this be the first match of the millennium i think it would have been bigger for triple h it would probably would have been bigger for the show it would have been a cool moment but regardless um they needed to do it in the middle of the show they couldn't have done it as the main event because they've already set up for the rock and his handicap match which storyline wise is bigger than the title given the fact that they're threatening that the rock is going to be fired um, but regardless, this is kind of weird, weird having the, um, having the match that early and it just doesn't, it doesn't make Big Show look that good, even though he, um, his title run just, it didn't seem to work that well. Um, the fact that all it took was a low blow for him to lose and I don't know, the guy's the world's largest athlete, I feel like. You, you got to make it look real. You got to make it look near impossible to beat him. You got to make it look impossible for one man to beat him. Um, as far as his character goes, um, I guess it does promote the championship to Triple H, which storyline-wise makes a lot more sense given the fact that he's feuding with both The Rock and Mankind at this point. Uh, being the authority figure, he needs to have the championship. As far as I'm concerned, he can't be the underdog. He can't be the contender. He needs to be the man with the power in the championship, which makes sense. But I just think it would have been, they could have gone about beating the big show a better way, especially considering how they manipulate the situations with other superstars or wrestlers. Like, um, 
and kind of stacked the numbers against them. I think they could have made it look much harder to beat the Big Show. When realistically, all it took was a low blow and a pedigree, and that was it. Um, regardless, you don't really know what's going on behind behind the scenes. But especially considering he was a champion, you got to respect the champion. You got to respect the championship. And um, yeah, I think it would. I think the Big Show would have been better served by having that go a different way even if he was to still lose the title, but you could have just made it look a lot harder, as far as I'm concerned. Um, <clears throat> the next match was a previously discussed, well, in one of the backstage intro uh, promos, um, it was Test. He was going to be having his partners named where he would be facing the big boss man and Prince Albert. Yep, that name, Prince Albert. Still funny, Prince Albert. Um, big leather daddy with a hairy back called Prince Albert. It's just, you don't even try. <laughs> you don't even try now. Um, Triple H stated that he assigned Test's partners. This is coming just after the McMahon, Stephanie McMahon test angle. Um, you can see that Tess is kind of getting primed to be a uh, big baby face, which um, obviously we know doesn't come to complete fruition, but he was really popular. He was over. He was getting pushed. Uh, I mean, I hate these terms. So I'm sorry. But he was getting primed to be a big face. He had the look. He was a big, tall Canadian. He had a lot of like the similar attributes that made Edge popular in that time. Um, but for whatever reason, it didn't work out. And he kind of, on this episode of Raw, for example, he kind of got stuck in one of quite a few flat average matches floating around the Melba card without a real storyline attached to it. And I feel like without a storyline attached, you at least want to have a good quality match so that your stock goes up. But when you haven't got a storyline attached and the match is below average, it kind of doesn't do anything for anyone. It's just filling your time. But regardless, Triple H has assigned his partners uh, outcome the fabulous Moolah and Mae Young, who are a regular staple for these sorts of things in this era, pro wrestling. They don't do a great deal. Um, they get in the ring briefly. Mae Young hits a Bronco Buster and I think Prince Albert. Um, another kind of interesting thing is that uh, Prince Albert and Boss Man just straight up stomp the oldies. Like, there's no, oh, we can't hit a lady even though we're heels. It's like, no, 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 like, we'll knock them down and we're stomping on them. Um, they come out with sexual chocolate, Mark Henry, but um, it's just a pretty average match, really. I mean, Big Boss Man and Prince Albert pin tests, and Mark Henry comes in, tries to help him, and well, it's just next. Um Next match is the Acolytes versus the Posse. It is another handicap match. Back-to-back handicap matches. That's strange. That's weird. That's, I don't know if that's... That's just a weird little tidbit. It's a weird little fact that you got back-to-back handicap matches. Regardless, the Acolytes have one arm tied behind their back because of the comments that they made backstage after their scrap with the posse um so it's the two members of the acolytes versus the three members of the posse 
The Dudleys come down and interfere just about, I think, it's right as the match is starting. Then it's just a straight up three, uh, five on two beat down. Um, the match doesn't, I don't even know if the match starts. I don't know how it ends. It doesn't matter. Again, it's just a non-event match. It's just another scrap between the Dudleys and the Posse and the Acolytes. Um, probably could have been an opportunity for Too Cool maybe to come out and help as far as just getting them some more involvement, especially considering that they were involved in the melee between the teams in uh, in the first match. But regardless, it's just, again, it's nothing really. Uh, the next segment <clears throat> is the first of three DX film segments where they are paradising mankind in the unemployment section. It didn't really, it wasn't really that funny. It didn't really do a whole lot. It's one of those segments that would really work when, uh, when DX is a popular team, when they're over with the fans, not when they're the authority figures. It's just hard to make funny segments and still be the bad guys. But this one didn't really work. They had Fink come out and announce it. They're joking about how it's an Academy Award winning film and whatever. Just didn't really do much for me. Um, the next match is, it explains the steel cage hanging above the ring, which was not referenced at all, wasn't acknowledged, but it's a singles match with Jeff Hardy. Uh, he comes out with Terry and Matt. Uh, it's against Al Snow in a steel cage. Completely unmentioned and ignored match. Steel cage match, no storyline attached to it. Um, really, really strange. I think Al Snow is considered part of the McMahon-Helmsley authority cabinet. Uh, he's one of their pawns, I guess you could say. But um, it just doesn't doesn't make any sense. Just don't know why you are getting Jeff to take steel cage bumps and chair shots and stuff for a, a non-event. Just It's kind of the era, I guess. A lot of guys just want the TV time and they got the opportunity to do cool stuff, but it's just not... Didn't make any, again, it just doesn't make any sense. Uh, before the match, Al Snow pulls Jeff out of the ring, hits him with a chair. Then he drags uh, Terry into the ring and then chains the door shut. So m the match starts with Terry in the ring. Mind you, there's no referee in the ring. So within the steel cage, which is chained shut, is Al Snow, Terry, and Jeff. Um, the match is kind of back and forth. Terry is more or less just ignored. For the most of the match, there's an instance where you see Arso like, oh, is he going to hit her with a chair? Who knows? Doesn't. Um, um, Jeff climbs up out of the cage. He um, ends up on the top. Al Snow hits him with a cutter off the top of the cage, um, which is just a crazy bump for nothing. There's no storyline. It's not going ahead anywhere. It doesn't make any sense, but... Jeff Hardy's still taking spots off the top of a cage for no reason. Um, again, there's no ref in the ring, so I don't know how submissions, how pins are getting counted, whatever. But um, match ends with uh, Al Snow on, his, on all fours. Jeff launches off of his back, almost uh, poetry in motion-esque, uh, onto the ropes, out of the cage, 
basically just launches himself while holding onto the top of the cage and swings, flips over while still holding the top. And it's probably the coolest cage escape I've seen. Um, yeah, it doesn't make any sense. But Terry's still in the cage. Um, Matt jumps in. He climbs over the cage to save her um, from Al Snow. And yeah, it's again, I don't understand. Maybe that'll make sense. Maybe it's going forward. Maybe it's just the beginning of the storyline, not a continuation or an ending. But again, personally, I feel like steel cage matches are better serves in, in made of, Why didn't you put the rock in the cage? Why didn't you put a handicap match between DX and the rock um, in a steel cage? Why are you using it for Jeff Hardy versus Al Snow? Either way. Um, the next segment is part two of the uh, Have a Bad Day, the Mick Foley, the Mankind parody film series which is announced at each segment by Howard Finkel rest his soul um this one I'm not gonna lie this one kind of got me it is again what I'm gonna play I think the thing it is a diary but it's just one of those things that you will never see ever 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 you'll never see that anytime in the last 10 years or anytime in the future uh it's just it's just funny hey who the hell are you? Well, I'm mankind. I came here, I saw that this children's hospital was open, and I was just, you know, looking for some children to entertain, because I'm really good at that. I got a balloon. You a mankind? You a fat loser? You guy got fire on TV. Yeah, I got fired, but I mean, I can still entertain people. Listen here, you cannot be here. I had Dr. Hung Lo. I call security that you not leave. Did you say Dr. Hung Lo? Me, Hung Lo. Hey, you know that guy at Triple H? Yeah, I know Triple H. Get him over, big time. Over. He huge. You get him come, you come see kid anytime you want. Well, okay. Hey, wait a minute. It's the guy that fired me, and I'm going in there, and there's nothing you can do about it. Hey, you... I'm coming over the desk. I stop you. with the hung low. Now you get the father ass out of here. Ow. You a loser. Don't come back without the Triple H either. Like, it's just, in case you missed that, that is Triple H uh, with Asian-eyed glasses on at a children's hospital where a fake mankind comes and tries to entertain the kids uh, due to the fact that he's now unemployed, which has been stressed on just about every segment at this point going onto the show. But I mean <laughs> it it got me like like it's just it's just a funny thing. It's you just gotta appreciate stuff. It's like it's so impossible to do something like that, at least in WWE. And it's so unnecessary, even for the time. Like they just <laughs> I don't know. It's just that, that kind of humor. But again, it's weird kind of having funny segments with DX as the bad guys. That's that sort of thing would be far funnier if they were the good guys and they were making fun of the authority, but instead they're kind of making fun of the underdogs. And it's like, didn't you guys come about because you were the underdogs? Either way, um, they play uh, Pat Patterson and uh, Briscoe and backstage with the Rock, kind of more or less 
giving their condolences because he's set to be fired, really hamming it up. Um, and then they play part three of Have a Bad Day, which, again, doesn't do anything for me personally. Um, the main event is set to start um, while you get about what seems like about 10 minutes of just multiple backstage interactions um, which kind of just seemed to go on forever and as you watch the time go down it's an hour and a half show and then we were about 16 minutes out from the show finishing and you're still kind of building up for the main event which I guess you're not expecting like a barn burner of a match but um, it's just still kind of weird that they they you do feel like it was a little rushed considering they had to seem to fill so much time. Um, basically, The Rock comes backstage, tries to jump. DX doesn't do anything. They're all still available. They're still all, you know, able to compete. He had, didn't disable any of them so that he made it easier on himself to make it a two-on-one or a one-on-one match. He just attacked them which again was kind of just a weird time filler, which seems. Um, but yeah, so the main event is The Rock in a three-on-one handicap match against X-Pac, Billy Gunn, and Road Dog. The Rock loses. He is fired. Um, starting at the match, the uh, DX is continuing their celebration of Triple H winning the WWE Championship uh, going kind of celebrating all around the arena in the backstage area. Uh, but Triple H comes out and announces. Boy, what could be worse Rock. than this? It's a little something I forgot to mention to you. This match, it's no DQ. Go get him, boys. So that kind of plays into the finish after about 10 minutes of just beating up the Rock DX. Um, it's basically kind of... It's got a little back and forth. The crowd is still going crazy for anything The Rock does. Um, they really, It really points out that it wasn't a particularly hot crowd. It was just how over The Rock was, and particularly in Miami. It was just having the meat out of the palm of his hand. Even in the small little burst where he's in a three-on-one match, and he's not getting a whole lot of his stuff in, but he's still getting these massive pops for anything that he's doing. Um, yeah, so the Rock gets bashed for about 10 minutes or so, and then, of course, the finish comes about. Come on. A road dog grabbing another steel folding chair. Yeah! 
save the Rock's ass. And DX and Triple H, they don't like it. The Rock has won the match. And Triple H is pissed. So yeah, like it's a pretty hot finish, um, especially considering the Rock gets over. Uh, Mankind comes back, makes his triumphant return. The DX is defeated after a whole show of being very heelish. Um, again, the crowd absolutely popping for The Rock. He just has them completely within control. Um, yeah, like a solid finish to a, a an okay, a, a pretty. I mean, it was an okay show. The storyline really was, you could really just condense it down to the fact that DX was using their power, using their authority, setting up for some big storylines with, and some big matches with The Rock and Mankind, um, and really just flexing their muscles, threatening to fire people. Um, and then The Rock overcoming this in his hometown. That You could really just kind of sum it up with that. Oh, and of course the fact that the WWF Championship changed hands, which is more or less an afterthought. The big show is an afterthought. He was the champion coming into that show, but he was just pretty much completely disregarded. Um, I know you got to get the title to change hands at some point, but again, I feel like you could have done a better job of making it a bigger deal. Again, first match of the card, first match of the Millennium, or the main event. And then... Even when Triple H wins, it's still the big celebration, and then you continue the celebration later on in the show. Even though that's a heel finish, I know, I know. I'm just spitballing here, and they're working kind of a few gaps. But other than that, the rest of the matches were completely pointless. Um, they're kind of small little steps in the storyline going ahead, but there weren't any of those cool raw moments. There weren't any of those cool highlights. There weren't, like, you know, big clips that made the Attitude Era or stuff that you remember through your childhood. It was a pretty forgettable shot, um, which is kind of interesting because this is an era where, you know, it's kind of cool going back and looking at these shows and realizing that it wasn't just a gem after a gem. It wasn't just SmackDown and Raw were killing it, unforgettable moments and matches every single week. It wasn't the case. Like, there were still these kind of stepping stone shows. And it was unfortunate that the first show of the of the millennium was one of those stepping stones. But um, another interesting little tidbit, I would hazard to guess, I believe this show is the show with the most handicap matches in one event. There were three handicap matches in total. Uh, obviously, the main event, Rock versus Billy Gunn, X-Park, Road Dog. There was the three-on-two uh, handicap match with... Uh, the big boss man Prince Albert going against Test Fabulous Moolah and uh, Mae Young and then there was also the uh, Acolytes first the Posse so where that was yeah obviously two on three which is kind of interesting when you think about it I don't know how planned that was. Just another weird little tidbit. Um, in typically, handicap matches don't really work for me because you. I mean, it makes sense for a main event storyline like with the Rock one, but I don't know. I feel like there weren't any high quality matches on this card. There weren't any matches that went a decent amount of time. There weren't any matches that were back and forth. There weren't any cool spots. Again, even with Jeff Hardy in a steel cage, you got a few little glimpses but it was an uneventful 
pretty useless match that didn't really need to happen. Um, again, we'll see how these storylines kind of play into the upcoming pay-per-view of the Royal Rumble. Um, obviously, before building up to the Royal Rumble, oftentimes they're kind of just killing time with all those mid-card. You could see that Triple H has something to do with the main event on the road to WrestleMania. Um, you can see that Mick Foley obviously has something to do with that. And you can see that The Rock is in the picture, especially going into the Rumble where he doesn't have... He's either going to be challenging for the championship at the Rumble or he's going to be potentially winning the Rumble. Um, but you could just see that he's getting that real, real push going into Mania season. Um but yeah, it was, it was an interesting look back on this episode. It wasn't one that I remembered. It wasn't one that I had memories of. Um, and, you know, it wasn't like a tremendous show. But again, this is the era. They had, um, they had all the talent that they needed. And this is an era that created some of the best matches that I can remember in these few year periods. So they obviously know what they're doing. It's all part of the storytelling. And, uh, at least there were kind of, you know, a few little few little moments, at least for the home crowd, at least for the home fans. And I think the biggest winner coming out of this show was The Rock because he came out looking like an absolute million bucks. The crowd was in the palm of his hand and he got the big, big baby face pop at the beginning and the end of the show. So that's the thing that you remember uh, coming out of the show. But, um, yeah. Now, I appreciate anyone that listens to this. Maybe... Maybe my mum will find this at some point and listen to it. Who knows? Maybe no one will ever listen to it. But either way, I like just talking shit about wrestling. My mind is going all over the place. I've forgotten things. I've messed up the order. Who knows if the sound is any good? Who knows if anyone can even hear anything? But I'm just having fun with it. I like having something to do involved in this realm. Um, it's kind of the only thing that I really enjoy studying enjoy looking back on enjoy analyzing um and and i still don't really know how this show is going to go i want to get a bit more succinct and clear with how we analyze the shows i would love to have some more people on here because i'm gonna have more of a dialogue and not monologue and just ramble on about shit and i'd like to just have a laugh with someone and talk wrestling but um you know this is the first of hopefully many episodes of raw smackdown pay-per-views that we'll look forward to uh we'll look back to and um yeah like for anyone listening to this i really appreciate it i'm just having a bit of fun with it i enjoy talking shit but um yeah until next time this is bosch the future and i'm sean walsh thanks